Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at Roth consulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Hi, this is Mike Roth, Sandler Training. I'm here today with Dick Benner, and we're here to talk about the positive aspects of uh, doing business in Cincinnati. Welcome to the show, Dick. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Before we really get started, uh, I thought I'd give you guys a, a rundown on uh, some of the upcoming episodes. Uh, Next week, on uh, Friday the uh, 6th of uh, April, we're going to have uh, Michael McKay from Transamerica Financial. Michael's been an expert in the financial services industry, many aspects of it for the past 20 years or so, and I thought he'd give us some uh, some good insights. We've had such a positive response for the show, Dick, that we've had to add some Thursday shows as well as the regular Friday show. Mm -hmm. So on the uh, the 12th of uh, April, uh, Dave Goodwin, CEO of Advanced Technology Consulting, is going to be our guest. And his company is involved in the management of complex telecommunication systems. On Friday, the 13th, a lucky day, naturally, we're going to have John Caccaro of uh, Employer's Choice. They offer expert assistance in all phases of administrative needs for a company. They help companies save money and give them the freedom to focus on the success and growth of their business. In 1996, ECP began as an Ohio-based professional employer organization, or PEO, and has evolved into a third-party administrator company, or TPA, and a professional advisor for payroll services. On the 19th of April, we have a special guest named Jim Semino. Jim is the CEO of a recruiting company called Executive Search. He's been in the recruiting business probably for 35 years, and he's going to talk about uh, some strategies that growing and emerging companies need to use as we emerge from what some people call a recession, other people have called it a depression. And he's going to be talking about strategies and business positive strategies that we can use to uh, help companies grow. On Friday the 20th, we have uh, Kevin Alleman. Kevin is the CEO of a company called System 4. They're a professional janitorial company. They specialize in offices and interior plans providing uh, economical janitorial service on a schedule that's uh, convenient for the, uh, the clients. 27th of April, we have a company called uh, Decal Impressions, Brian Vielhauser. He makes, I'm going to call him signs. i make him pop more out of them. For those of you in the uh, manufacturing world, you don't want to miss May 11th when we're going to have Erlen Russell. Erlen is uh, vice president of sales for a company called Tiger Stop. Those of you, I don't mean anything about uh, Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. Tiger Stop is a material positioning system for cutting wood, plastics, metals in a manufacturing operation. And Erlen's going to talk about how he learned to use Sandler and where he came from and how you might be able to. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are going to have a, a special show on May 4th. That's going to be the only show that's not live. It's going to be pre-recorded, so there will be no call-ins that day. Peter Wenzel is going to be our guest. Peter is the CEO, founder of General Data. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They make... Uh, the way I understand it, barcode labels for those DNA test tubes that they test, as well as uh, sell barcoding equipment, software, accounting services uh, for capital equipment. And he should be a really interesting guest on the show that day. So that's the rundown of 
just some of the shows that we've got scheduled. The, the response uh, from the business community has been amazing, amazing. I didn't. Be- I, I kind of believed at the beginning of this thing, Dick, that business leaders wouldn't want to take the time to, to talk to other business leaders and maybe even reveal secrets of, of how they grew their company. But it's been a, an amazing experience for the last uh, few weeks as I've been talking to people, booking guests, that people want to uh, appear on the show. Yes. And if any of you are listening and you'd like to appear, you can get a hold of me at uh, 513-753-9400, extension 102. Now let's spend some time uh, with our guest, Dick Penner. Dick, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your business career? How did you start out? Well, you start out, normally speaking, with a degree. So I had a degree in engineering. Mm-hmm. In, what kind um, of engineering? Mechanical engineering. Okay. And my first employer was a sales company that sold packaged water chillers across the country. Mm-hmm. And they hired me in Jackson, Michigan. And after being there for about a year, they sent me to their Chicago sales office. So that was my first experience in sales, working out of Chicago. Uh, I spent two years there, and then I went into building operating uh, for Montgomery Wards, um, complete switch of uh, of uh, what I would be doing. So you went from the uh, the sales the manufacturer man- side to the user side of the table. The, well, to the management end of the user side. Yeah, sure. Right? That's unusual. And um, from there, I went to a company that made um, uh, gas-fired drying systems for printing presses, and uh, I was in charge of their uh, coordination of sales that went through job shops to be constructed and then shipped. So I had a really varied uh, background uh, until um, I started to work for another gentleman in in Chicago, which was uh, in the refrigeration, heating, and air conditioning business, Mm -hmm. which turned out to be my niche, the one I felt the most comfortable with. You started out with the chillers, which is a component in Mm -hmm. commercial large-scale heating and air conditioning systems. Right. Right. These big things on the rooftops of buildings. Right. And so while I was there, I was coordinating service uh, uh, sales for about seven branches. And the uh, owner uh, got the idea of starting a couple people on the phones to do nothing but develop uh, leads for service contracts. Kind of telemarketing, as we it's call it today. Direct, uh, direct telemarketing. But this was back... In uh, in uh, gee uh, in the early uh, 80s, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very rare for someone in that business to be using telephone marketing for leads, you know, to prospecting new customers. Sure, but I watched it work, and that's where I became uh, uh, advocate of it. Once I got into my own business, so what were the circumstances that changed you from a a loyal employee of a company? to uh, have the nerve, the brains, the smarts, to start your own company? Um, having the experience of, of watching the company I worked for in Chicago for, for six years, um, I decided that I had always had an urge to do my own business, and the opportunity didn't present itself in uh, Chicago, so uh, the owner and I had a little bit of a difference in what I should be making in salary and having Responsibilities, so I went to Cincinnati. Okay. And uh, in Cincinnati, uh, I gave a big commercial company that I went to work for this same uh, approach to the market with the telephone uh, solicitation. Okay. And and they were doing well with that. And then uh, they got over over jealous zealous in uh, construction and ended up going bankrupt. That always hurts. Yeah. So uh, I survived by. Uh, picking up a small residential uh, company, uh, knowing that I would eventually turn it into a commercial company. Uh, but that had its When you say pick up, does that mean you bought the I, I bought it, yes. But now, I, now, did I, you buy it for <laughs> cash or did you... you, yeah, you well, you, there's a long story there. Um, the owner misrepresented the, the books, and uh, I thought I bought it for uh, a certain amount of cash down and then a, a note for over five years. But uh, as it turned out, uh, when I took it over, it was bankrupt. 
Wow. So um, I had to get through that. Well, and don't feel bad because you're not the only one something like that's happened to us. I've heard that story many times over uh, the years. But, you know, if you have enough faith and uh, and you have uh, a few friends, I'll give you one one just side, side part of that. Uh, a friend of mine was working in Toledo, and we both had worked in Chicago together in, in the contracting business. And I called him, and I said, I think I'm going to turn it under uh, maybe tomorrow. And he said, gee, Dick, and he said, well, this is May, I mean, this is March of 80, what? What's the matter? Can't you get any more money from the bank? I said, I can get a little bit more, but I think it's done. He said, let me fly in there. He said, I, my partner's got an airplane. And they met me at the airport, Lunkin Airport, at 9 o'clock the next morning. And he talked to me a little bit, and his partner talked to me a little bit, and they both were in the same kind of business. And they said, Dick, you're you're too close to it. Air, heating air conditioning. Yeah, yeah. They are both in the heating air conditioning. They said, you you need to take that other money and let it run you for another month or two and see where you are. He said, you're giving up too easy. Yeah. And uh, so I did, and that was the <laughs> reason I'm still here saying I was successful in the air conditioning business. <laughs> okay. That's good, Dick. Let's take a, a little bit of a break, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Last year was your best year ever. If it wasn't, you'll need to listen real hard for the next few seconds. Albert Einstein said, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results was the definition of insanity. You have to change. Change works. We change salespeople and companies via long-term incremental growth. There are no magic bullets. If you want to make 2011 your best year ever, you need a proven business development process that yields higher profits and sales in less time. If that's your case, we need to talk. Call me at 513-646-6523 or visit our website at RothConsulting.net. Some people need to see it so they understand what we're all about. Call me at 513-646-6523 for a free guest pass to one of our training sessions. Well, I'm back here with our guest, Dick Benner, and Dick has been sharing with us how he got his own uh, business started. Now, was that was that the business that was called Benner Heating and Air Conditioning? No, it was called AAA Heating, and when it became a commercial-oriented company, I changed it and put my name on it. Okay. But until it had some substance, I didn't want to do that. Sure. How many years did that take? Uh, two. Two years? Mm-hmm. And right. at, at that point, did you keep the residential business? No, no, I just let it go. I mean, it, we 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 never uh, uh, had it as a business that I could sell because I went, I needed those people that were working in it mm-hmm. to go into the other company. So it was just a matter of merging merging the name, you know, and and starting the Benner Company in a different location. I moved to a, uh, a big location on Dana Avenue that I could expand into. Okay, um, and that was because of a Rotarian. Tell me about that. Well, Ted Holman owned the property, and and he was in Rotary, and I was in 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 uh, Rotary, and uh, he uh, told me it was for sale, and and I asked him what he wanted for it, and and he had another bid already, and uh, I gave him what he asked, mm-hmm. and the other guy went nuts because I got the property. <laughs> And sometimes you just have to have a feeling for who's selling it and what they might give on and what they might not give on. And he wanted what he had asked, but it was a fair price. Well, it's a fair price. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Dick Benner and I are in the downtown Cincinnati Rotary Club together. Right. That's, how, that's how we first met. That's right. Uh, how many years have you been in Rotary, Dick? Well, it's been about 22. 22 years. I've been in about 13 or 14 years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a good group. Over uh, 300 and... Uh, best investment you could make in time. Yeah. yeah. You, you get to have lunch every week with about 120, 130 of the That's 330 right. members. You see world speakers. World-class uh, speakers. Mm-hmm. And you actually meet people from all over the world. Uh, right. As I've traveled around the world, I've... Uh, it opens a lot of doors. Oh, yeah. And I've visited. Uh, with even, even opens the customs people's eyes. I always wear my rotary hat when I'm going through customs. 
a rotary hat. Yeah, oh, it's cap. like a baseball cap. My, my a baseball, baseball cap, cap. Sure. okay. Sure. Anytime I'm overseas, I have that cap on. Yeah, as long as it's not a hoodie, I guess you'll be okay. <laughs> uh, now, when you had your, your, your company, Benner, yeah. uh, and you were entering the, uh, the marketplace, how did you uh, enter the, uh, the market? We used telephone marketing. Telephone marketing. Yes, I did it along with a couple of people we had hired, and uh, we would uh, have a session once a week to pick out new names to work on, and uh, each person was talked with so many calls a day and uh, the follow-ups, uh, and once we found out we were wasting our time, we'd take them off the list. But uh, it's the one way that I can point to that is Concrete in the way of developing new customers, it will not fail you. Well, that's 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 good. Uh, I I am also a believer in telemarketing, and uh, just as a little bit of a plug, on April 25th, I'm going to do one of my all-day cold call camps. That's open to all the Sandler Presidents Club members here in Cincinnati, and it looks like we'll have about 20 seats, and uh, we'll probably have five or six seats that we can sell to members of the general public. So if you're interested in uh, coming to the cold call camp or sending your sales team to the cold call camp, give us a call here at 539 We did another unique thing with the telephone marketing. Even though a salesman maybe had a, a full um, count of customers he was handling, mm-hmm. he is responsible for five calls a day. Five uh, telephone calls a day. Five cold call calls a day. Okay, five cold calls. That's a... Just, uh, just to turn in at the end of the week what the company name was and who he talked to and things like that so I could make sure he was doing it. Yes, that's that's a smart idea. Well, it's just something he could do, really. Mm-hmm. He, he should be able to do, it, or yeah. he shouldn't be selling for you. <laughs> well, that is a problem. A lot, of, a lot of people are in sales who shouldn't be, and we see a lot of that. It's, it's interesting in, in hiring salespeople today. There, there are a lot of people looking for new jobs. Right but there are only a few who are really good salespeople. Right. Uh, and the really good salespeople, they're working, they're unhappy where they are, but they haven't put their resume out on Monster.com or places like uh, CareerBuilder. They don't want to put their resumes out because they don't want their bosses to know they're unhappy enough to uh, be seeking employment someplace else. Right. So what they, they do is they come to people like me Say, Mike, who do you know that's uh, looking for a great salesperson? Dick, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back in a moment. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Well, we're back. Hopefully we've uh, resolved that little power problem. Otherwise, the show will drop off here when the battery dies. So where were we? You went to Marketplace by uh, having your salespeople make extra telephone dials every day? Well, just five. I had a regular telephone marketing person, but I also had them charged with the idea that they had to do that themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to turn over a few more leads that we wouldn't have turned over without that. How many salespeople did you have? I had three, myself and two others. Okay, so you were the company owner and one of the sales team. Right. In most years, Dick, would you say that you were uh, producing more than half of the uh Company sales? Um, you could say that because of, I, I retained house house accounts. In other words, once they became an account, that sales uh, for that went in. You know, for that particular customer went into the to the house account. Okay. 
So you couldn't be a salesman for me and live off of two or three accounts. Uh, you you had to be able to develop new uh, new leads and new customers. And how did you pay your salespeople? Salary, salary plus commission, or did you pay? No, I, I paid salary plus bonus. Salary plus bonus. Yeah, bonus year end bonus to pay. Been a lot on their uh, performance and what uh, what the company itself did. Okay. I tried to keep the company on a team aspect rather than individual uh, rewards. So all of the, the the two other salespeople and yourself shared a bonus pool based on company productivity. Yeah, and so did the employees. The the actual technicians who worked on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would mean to me that you were not a union shop. No, that's right. Never would have been. Yeah. Okay. I can understand that. A lot of people. Well, I don't. I don't have anything against doing this stuff. You just have to run them a different way. Yeah. And uh, we grew from oh six hundred thousand up to twelve million over ten years. So was it one way uphill? No, no. We had our times, you know, when things got tough and when sales dropped off. I want to tell the folks that some of the things that you did to grow sales in tough economic times? Well, in tough economic times, it was pay attention to your accounts. So we made the habit of visiting them on a, on a more frequent basis uh, than we normally might have. Also, we would do certain things during the economic times, especially 80 to 82, where we reduce our uh, salaries by 15%. Really? That must not have been popular. It wasn't popular, but it, but it was also nobody was being let go. Mm-hmm. And they all understood that. And in the end of one of those years, I gave back what I had taken away at the beginning of the year because we had a hot summer and it made the difference in where we were going. Okay. So you, you have to be fair with them. They have, And you also have to communicate with them so they know that we're not making money and telling them that we're you know, are losing money or something like that. Did you have a formal uh, method of sharing what the, uh, the company's P&L was on a month-to-month basis? No, sir. Quarter-to-quarter basis? No, sir. There'd be enough, uh, uh, be enough uh, spin-off from the accounting department <laughs> for them to know we were doing all right or we weren't doing all right. Okay, uh, so... No one ever talked specific numbers, but they would know. The whole mood of the company would be uh, on a very positive or a very, you know, flat level, depending on the business. And everybody knew when something wasn't coming in. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, in... in in that marketplace where you operated, commercial heating and air conditioning, I imagine that was a highly competitive marketplace. It was, but it also found out that it, that it had a lot to do with personalities. Personalities. Yeah, dealing with who you're dealing with, you know, and the customer's facility and the, and the chemistry between that salesman or myself and that person we're dealing with. Right. Sandler's always told us that. Uh, people buy from people who they like and trust. They do. They do. That's why the telephone marketing is such a success. If the person on the phone has the ability to get the other person to talk, mm-hmm. that's half the problem right there. Right. Right. We, we, when we talk to uh, Kevin Alderman later in April, uh, we'll probably talk about his telemarketing operation because we uh, tune that up a lot so that the, the telemarketers are talking less than thirty percent of the time, and and it hasn't, and it isn't whether it's a woman or a man. Mm-hmm. We found that out in Chicago. It's whether or not there's chemistry between the person doing the calling. Could be a woman, could be a man. We had both, right? But it was uh, the chemistry between the two that were talking on the phone. Okay. So if you had a really good person, like a good. Uh, a female caller that had a had a, a, a jolly aspect on the phone and could get someone to laugh on the other end. You had it made. You could you could almost bet she was going to turn over some accounts. Right, right. I've had experience with uh, some lucky salespeople who are uh, natural storytellers and jokesters. Exactly. If you can get the other guy to laugh, yes, that's half the battle. It is. Unfortunately, I'm not a great jokester. I have to kind of read and study a joke. 20 times before I dare use it aloud. Uh, but there are other ways to get other, other people to like you. Um, Telling stories is, is one of them. Right. And uh, in, in, in your world, uh, did your folks have a script that you created for them to follow? No. So it was totally ad lib. 
It was added up to a certain point, yes, after they'd gone with me on some calls and things like that. Uh, we always had a, a new salesman go out with an experienced salesman uh, for at least a couple of months. Yeah. Now, in in my old world, when we dealt with bringing someone new on, uh, we, we would always recommend that they do a ride-along day before being hired. Right. Because one, one or two things was going to happen after the ride-along day, the prospective salesperson would say, "Boy, I won't. I don't want any part of your business. It's a crazy business." Yeah. Or B, the the rep that I sent the prospective candidate on would have to give me a full uh, report on the day that he spent with Dick Benner. And if he said Dick isn't set up for this business, yes, and that these are the reasons why I don't think we should hire him. Well, I that think w- that weighs very heavily. Well, just, really heavily. just the fact that you would have one of your experienced salespeople riding with a newbie, mm-hmm. right then you're going to get feedback. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, in a day or two days or something. But like this that. is pre-hire, pre-hire. Yeah. After they're hired, it, it, it could be a little different story. Well, we went through some stuff on pre-hire, but also when you have them on board, you you put them with your best salesman for a week or two, so we can straighten out what they're doing that might not be right. Yeah. That's that's good. That's it's, good. it's too easy to fire people, oh. and it's just, it's much more uh, uh, productive to work them through their problems rather than just say, "Oh, the hell with it. This guy's attitude is bad. We're going to get rid of him." We're going to talk a little bit about more more about that hiring uh, salespeople after the break. We're here with Dick Benner, and we'll be right back after this message. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth and Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. Okay, we're back with uh, Dick Benner. Uh, and we were talking about hiring and onboarding uh, new salespeople. How many new salespeople did you actually hire there at Benner? Well, I had two when I when I opened the uh, Dana Avenue operation, and we grew up to four uh, plus myself, so it would be a total of five. Okay. And when you were hiring somebody new, what were you looking for in them? Background in the heating air conditioning business, uh, either with a degree in mechanical engineering or, or at least uh, some hours in mechanical engineering. Maybe they didn't quite complete, they didn't have to quite complete, you know, the full degree, but I was looking for people that had some education in what we were selling. So they had some technical education? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how about uh, behavioral characteristics? We're talking about the 80s. Sure. And I'm a gut reaction guy. Okay. Uh, so um, a lot of the hiring in that time was my my input, my uh, decision, and I did not get into uh, anything more than what they had given me on their application. I didn't do any police checks because I don't know. Back in the eighties, I think we did it. There wasn't a lot going on, you know. No, no we didn't do. I, I really liked ex-service people. Mm-hmm. That had been, you know, into some environment where they had to pay attention to what the hell was going on. Sure. And uh, I was fortunate enough to find one of them. Okay. Uh, so I would highly recommend uh, ex-military people. Uh, sure, ex-military people. Yeah. Uh, when when we're recommending hiring outside salespeople in either a commodity sale or account sale uh, kind of a basis, we we look for people who have high drive and ambition. Yes. That's a characteristic that most people can't fake. Either they got it or they don't got it. Right. And then we measure that along with measuring their ability to control and close. 
you know. Yeah, you probably get into a little, little difference. I'm dealing mainly with mechanics uh, on, on on the customer end, you know. Right, right. Or with with guys that are in charge of uh, of uh, maintenance departments. Sure. And very rarely are they are they college at that time again back in the 80s were they college educated. Well, you don't and, need a college and, education. And so I was looking for guys that could just relate. It could be about baseball, could be about football, could be about a lot of things, uh, but something in the local area, you know, the Bengals, uh, the Reds. Someone who had the ability to to play sports was important to me. I'd never hired anyone with with a handicap in golf that was under 12. Never did. Well... Didn't want them. <laughs> I can't even. Can, tell, I can't tell you what a handicap of twelve means. <laughs> well, I can just tell you they spend more time playing golf than they do selling. <laughs> oh well, that's that, that's not good then. Uh, uh, no sir. But we're, what we're looking for in, in salespeople, I think, are, you're right. People who have the ability to build a relationship with with other people, as well as they have high drive and ambition, and then they they understand control and close. They got to be closers in, in yeah. today's marketplace. They could be factory trained too. That was a good sales type to pick up. Sure, um, if they had the product knowledge, yeah. that would help. But product knowledge doesn't sell. Right. What what sells is finding people who want to buy and then making it easy for them to buy. Yes, uh, which is kind of uh, a backwards approach. Have you ever had to fire a salesperson, Dick? No. Uh, uh, how many service people did you have? I had 30. It's a lot of people. Mm. Big payroll. Big payroll. In, in looking at uh, today's marketplace here in Cincinnati, what do you see as the opportunities? They're the same. Um, as uh, I have to relate to my business now. Okay? Sure. Um, I think they're out there uh, in a higher level than than than... Uh, before, because in tight times, people only have a certain amount of money to spend, and they want to make sure they're spending it the right way in the first in the first place. Secondly, if they have a problem with that, and and you did the repair, you've got to have the the outlook that you're going to go in and take care of that problem because he's the one that gave you the job to to do, and it didn't turn out right. Make it right, and you'll be doing work for him for for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of that. We'd eat something. No more costs, no nothing. And if our guy was wrong or something was wrong in the way we did it, uh, we just took care of it. You made it good. Oh yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. I think. That and a lot of times the customer wouldn't even know that we made it right. I just tell the guy get in there and make it right, and there wouldn't be any charge. There wouldn't be any list of materials. It'd just be done and it was over with. But you took care of the customers. Yeah, we take. You have to take care of the customers. Your your, your reputation in this city would would be pretty bad. Right, right. I, I've sometimes described Cincinnati as a series of small towns masquerading as a city, separated by a river that's 25 miles yeah, wide. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in a small town. So I don't, I don't think in in cities of this size, and let's just talk about a two three million dollar popula- a two three million people population base. Sure. Um, is a lot different in Chicago, or or New York. I, I would prefer much. Uh, in in the future, if someone went up a small business, I would say do it in these smaller two three million dollar three two or three million population cities rather than the in the big cities because it's too cutthroat in the big cities. Well, in the big cities, you, you're working against bigger, better entrenched competitors, and a new startup has to have something unique about his or her business to. Uh, to garner enough new customers out of the marketplace. Now, sometimes, uh, if you were starting from scratch in, in any place, any place, and you did the telephone marketing and you had the ability to get work done through a couple of people, you could start with two or three people and have a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank that you might have gotten through in your your employment somewhere else, and work the thing out so that so that it would work for you. But mm-hmm. you would be doing the telephone. I did this, so I know you would be doing the telephone marketing yourself. You would be doing <laughs> the call, calling on the customer, mm-hmm. and and uh, you'd be buying the parts for the service van. Right. But we, you could do it. We have a a client better than buying a franchise and have that go bankrupt on you in about a year or something like that. 
Sure, sure. Now, you never owned the franchise. Never. never okay. No. And why don't you tell us uh, what you think about people who buy franchises? I think they're un they're they're not prepared um, to to do what they just bought. In other words, maybe it's a sub zero, maybe it's a, a chicken place. Or, they just haven't worked in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I worked in two air, I worked in two maintenance departments and two air conditioning companies before I started my air conditioning business. So you were in the same line. I was in the same field. Right. You, you and, and I watched other people do it and make mistakes and make good good things. I knew what the mistakes were. I knew what the good things were. Uh, it's very important that people have a background before they throw a bunch of money into something they think is just going to make. Just because they want it to to wish it to be good, it's not so uh, sure that it's going to be good. Yeah. And one of the problems I have with some franchises, uh, Dick, is that the franchise uh, idea itself uh has ha really has some flaws. There was uh, one that was a franchise, I don't want to use any real names, that would come to your home or your place of employment to bang out the, the dents in your car and the scratches in your bumper and repaint your bumper or your door right, right there at your place of work and they put up a little tent. Right. Uh, and the simple fact of the matter is uh, the quality of the repair would not be that great, nor would it be as long-lasting as a real auto body uh, shop could provide. Right. That was on one side, and then had uh, the franchisee done enough research, he would have discovered that the uh, the EPA regulations about volatile hydrocarbons that they were using as the propellants in the paint uh, would more or less preclude them from commercially painting any place they wanted the paint. Right. You needed a downdraft booth. Uh, so the idea had flaws. How about your lungs? What? How about your lungs? Oh, yeah, the, the, the rebreathing equipment that the painters would have to wear. Mm -hmm. And then there were... Uh, th th this one I, I heard about a couple of years ago. Poor guy bought, bought the franchise to mow lawns. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Why would you buy a franchise to mow lawns? I don't know. I mean, it's not got enough turnover. <laughs> I mean, enough money for me. When you talk about commercial golf courses, they, they probably have their own grounds crew, and uh, it, it just didn't make any good economic sense. Uh, we see a lot of turnover in restaurants too. People buy on impulse, Mike. Mm -hmm. They get they lose their job. And they tell the wife, we've got this money, we're going to put it in this investment here, and we're going to be just fine. We'll sell chicken dinners, we'll sell this, we'll sell that. It's a wrong, it's a wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the wife will never forgive them. People get emotionally involved. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, they, they, because of the problem. Yeah, because of the problem. Mm -hmm. But in, in, in any buying decision, um, I guess it was last week we watched... Uh, a lady in the Rotary Club came up to me and said, Mike, I just bought a, uh, 19, a 2002 Mercedes uh, SLK uh, 230 compressor car, sports car, on eBay in an auction for about $10,500. I sent the guy $500. Should I send him the rest? I looked at it like she was nuts. Do you know, Dick? Hmm. Uh, and so we said to her, uh, tell us about the uh, inspection report that you got from the local Mercedes-Benz dealer in Dallas. And she she had a, a look on her face like, uh, uh, didn't do that. And so we suggested that she spend three to $500 to have the car brought over to the Mercedes dealer in the, in the place where the guy had the car, have the car inspected, to find out what it would cost to bring the car up to snuff to make it a roadworthy vehicle, highly reliable vehicle. Um, because there are a lot of things that wear out. And uh, she looked at me and said, can't I spend the money to send the guy a check for $10,000 for the balance and ship the car to me? Oh, my God. And I said, think about it. <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's take a look at, at the 
the, the values in the in the, the issue and she was really uh, controlled by the emotion. She had driven a car just like it. She wanted that particular car. She had won it in an auction. I hope the car is just fine, Dick. But when you, when people make franchise buying decisions emotionally, yeah. we get uh, people, good people, buying the wrong franchise. And in in that business, there are people who make commissions on selling you a franchise, sure. whether it's a dry cleaner store sure. or uh, an auto body paint shop. If you don't know the business that you're that you're buying, uh, you really should take some serious, long, hard look at it. Let's take a short break, Dick, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder and president of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. You've been listening to me talk about sales, growth, and development for years. Now, listen to what my clients have to say. Hi. This is meteorologist Rich Apuzo, Chief Operating Officer at Sky Eye Weather. We are consultants for multi-million dollar businesses that are directly impacted by the weather. I've been a client of Sandler Training by Mike Roth for just over six months, yet even in these tough economic times, our business continues to grow. Mike has done an amazing job with me, and I want to thank the folks at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates for all their help. And hey, when you're talking to Mike about sales, if you need a meteorologist... Ask for my number. To find out more about Sandler Training and how it might grow your business, contact us at 513-646-6523. That's 513-646-6523. Or visit us at www.rothconsulting.net. I'm here again speaking with uh, Dick Benner uh, about business in Cincinnati. And, Dick, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions, if I could, about how you decided when to get out of the business, because you had it for a lot of years. Right. Did you, you didn't have any family in your business, did you? No, and I didn't. Uh, I had a daughter that uh, wasn't old enough to saddle with something like that. Okay. So, um, two, one, two, oh, two had their little dips and you know, at that period of time. And um, I was 66 when I sold it, knowing that I wasn't paying the attention to it that I should be paying. Okay. I had hired a a young vice president, um, about 34, who had worked for another contracting company in Indianapolis, similar to my business, and told him if he made it with the employees and it worked out, uh, that I would sell it to him. Uh, so he came in in like 2000, and in 2002 I, we had uh, uh, come to an agreement on the, on the sale of the, of the business, and I wasn't selling um, to just anyone uh, because one of the criteria I had was to keep the employees. Mm-hmm. That's and there a good were, idea. There were two national companies that wanted to pay me more for the business, but they were going to eliminate the construction part of our business. Oh, really? Yeah. So that wasn't part of what I was trying to do. Uh, so this gentleman I sold it to, um, there was a contract uh, drawn up by um, Ross Brown and Todd, who's a local, but also was a good Rotarian friend. Mm-hmm. And it was ironclad, um, so that if there was a default, it became mine again. Okay. Uh, Not that you really wanted it back. No, I didn't want it back, no, no. And uh, it all worked out, and the final payment was in like 2.10. So this was a owner-financed sale? Yes, it was, yeah. With a certain amount down, like a third down, a and third down. the rest of it over 10 years. Over 10 years? Right. Um, and, so that, and that worked out. It, it worked out very well for me, and it worked out very well for him, and this, the employees are still there, and this is 2012. All right. The same employees I wanted to keep are still working there. Well, that's a really good story. Right, yeah. And by spreading out the payments for the business, you minimize their tax implications to you personally? Uh, yes, and also um, it was enough each year to um, to um, 
provide me with sat with income without dipping into what I had gotten down as a down payment and I also had sold the buildings that I owned. So I had enough of a nest egg to to not dip into for ten years. So the buildings were sold as part and parcel of the to the same buyer? No, no, no. Oh yeah. you segregated the real estate. Right, right. Okay. Right. Now you had the the real estate what near uh, Xavier? Yes, sir. Yeah. So you 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 kind of benefited when Xavier decides to expand. Um, no, it, I I sold it to a local general contractor who um, built a there's a large Keystone Properties building there. Okay, you know. But I, you, I I got I, I it all worked out exactly the way I wanted it to work out. Uh, Someone at the time, uh, when he first told me the building, there were about 20 houses in a little area there behind the building, and he told me to buy those uh, houses and, and, and lock up that piece of land, but I, I just never wanted to own those houses. You know, they were all uh, pretty well run down mm -hmm. and uh, pretty low-income people, and uh, they needed those homes, and I just didn't, you know, didn't see any reason to do it. That's where the new Red Cross building, too, is being built, was right there in that same area. Okay. Right. I uh, so I would recommend that that, that the plan <laughs> be concrete in your head when you decide to sell something, so that you don't use the money right away, or you don't reinvest it in something else that's going to cost you your life savings or something like that. Right. Right. Uh, so you didn't you didn't have to use a business broker because you had a hired a fellow that you put right. in the business, right. worked in the business for two right. years. Yeah, we eliminated all that problem, yeah. Yeah, and you saved a ton of money doing it that way. Right. And with my terms, the, the contracts were written on my terms. Mm -hmm. Now, there were some adjustments, you know, because he got a lawyer also, but but the part about it reverting back to me, uh, that wasn't negotiable. Sure. He, he had to make the payments. That was... Uh, Smart thing to do. Well, that was from that other fiasco when I first bought the residential company, where the guy had misrepresented the financials, <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, uh, that got solved because he was either going to go to jail or he was going to nullify the contract mm -hmm. because it was a criminal. I bought stock I, again. I, that's another ball game, you know. I bought stock, not assets. Yeah. So you sold an assets only sale. No, what I mean is when you buy a company, you want to buy the stock of that company, not the assets. There are two ways to handle Because it. the stock guarantees the financials. The stock guarantees the financials. Yes, sir. It's interesting. Yeah, and if you don't do it that way and the financials are false, well, it's just, sorry. <laughs> it's interesting because I sold a company in California Twenty years ago, yeah, and the guy who bought it, only way he would consider buying it would be an assets-only sale. That's well. There are other reasons to do that, but in in, in the buyers, excuse me, in the sellers, uh, excuse me, in the purchasers' eye point, stock guarantees you the the financials. Uh, the financials weren't doctored. Well, that that they're true. <laughs> yeah, that's really important. Yeah, because we're in business to make some money. Right. So I'm going to ask you a last question, Dick. If you had to give an entrepreneurial business owner, private business, yeah, okay, who's uh, 50 to 60 years of age, doesn't have a good exit strategy, what are the two or three steps you would recommend based on your vast experience? Well, if it's a company that's got some value, I would I would recommend that he find someone that wanted to buy it as a as an on as a going business, mm -hmm. because that person, if they're qualified, would be able to offer him a little more than somebody else. Uh, companies are worth uh, whatever they're worth to the person that's buying them, and uh, if he can't make a good living buying your company, then you got problems selling it anyhow. Right, there there's got to be enough cash flow to, to uh, and I, I to service a note to oh the yeah. old owner and right. to uh, right. pay salaries to the uh, the new team. Well, just to take care of what business cost, you you got to make sure there's enough cash flow to do that. Sure, it's it's hard to have people who have not been involved in either running a business and been responsible for cash flow. Uh, it's hard for, say, a salesperson 
who's been selling to someone and very successful and he has a couple million sitting over here to buy a business if he doesn't know how to check out the cash flow. Right. Uh, if he doesn't, then he's just rolling dice. Cash flow is really what it's all about. You, all had, you had 30 people on and payroll. It can't be, like it can't be, the list of uh, customers can't be uh, this guy here that's 60% of the sales and then another 7 or 8 of the, the rest of the 40%, you know. <laughs> You don't want that situation, but what happens if this guy goes south? The that's one that's providing 60% of the sales. That's classic. It's classic. It is classic because they deal in relationships. Right. So I, I would recommend that someone works in the business that they're going to try to... If they have a dream about a business, they should work in that business some somewhere, that type of business, before they get into it themselves. You know, I, I can tell you that in the Sandler world, one of our most successful sales associates in Philadelphia, bought out his boss over, I think it was a two or three year period of time, mm -hmm. where the ownership first changed from, say, 60-40 to 40-60. Mm -hmm. Then the associate, who is now the majority partner, bought 100% of the business, kept the old owner around as a, an associate on, on contract, and Today, he's one of the most successful guys in. Uh, well, he was probably the best salesman too, wasn't he? Oh yeah. Well, Philadelphia is a very, an extremely special market right. for Sandler, right. where uh, five uh, trainers share the same training center. Yeah. It gives them a tremendous economy of scale. That's a that's that's a win-win for everybody. Oh, it was, it was. Dick, I want to thank you for yeah. for joining us here today. Sorry for the disruption we had in the middle of the episode. Ah. That's, that's electronics, baby. That's electronics. <laughs> okay, everyone. Uh, next week, our uh, our guest is going to be, if I find the right piece of paper, some editing there, it's going to be uh, Mike McKay of uh, Transamerica. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 9400